we began a two-part series last weekend on the subject of decisions. How do you know God's will for your life? Who was here last weekend? Okay, fantastic. Good to have you back. And if you missed out, uh, a quick review. We um, shared about the fact that all of us have moments in life where we're faced with decisions and we're maybe got a few options in front of us and you're thinking, which is the right way to go? Should I do this? Should I do that? What is God's will for our life? And if you've ever been there, you may even be there now, you're in good company. We all have moments like that. Even the great apostle Paul, if you read the book of Acts, had times when he's trying some things and there's a closed door and another closed door and then eventually an open door. And so we did our best last week to bust a few myths about God's will. We've got a slide coming up right now, just a quick review of a number of wrong approaches to the will of God. And uh, we don't want to buy into these wrong approaches, a fatalistic approach, a negative approach, a frustrating approach, a fearful approach, a mystical approach, as the team is tracking that down. Uh, these are things that can really make God's will difficult in our lives just because of some thought processes, some paradigms, some ways of thinking that we may have uh, gathered over our years of doing life. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get online, have a listen to the podcast. How many are thankful to all of our media team? They do a great job. If you're away on a weekend, you can always catch up on a message. And uh, that's, uh, so just back one slide. Um, there we go. Back, is that the first slide there? Just go to the next slide. That's your cue. Next slide. Is that is it? Okay. What what's on the next slide there, Daniel? Uh, that's the middle of the message. Ah, good vibes. Escaping good vibes. That's <laughs> that's last week. Okay. It's all right. No worries. Uh, if you've got it, we'll use it. If not, we'll just go without it. So um, if it's not there, Jimmy, we'll just keep moving. Jimmy, let's just leave it because we're pretty tight for time this morning. So let's jump into it. So if you missed last week, jump online, have a listen to the podcast. You can catch up. Today, we want to share about how does God guide us? Um, anyone have a GPS that you use in your car? <laughs> Anyone like the GPS? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, how many have a male GPS voice? How many have a female GPS voice? Anyone have John Cleese? Uh, you can get different voices. People telling you where to go. GPS, well, I want to give you a bit of a GPS today, God's positioning system. And uh, there you go, a bit slow. Uh, you know, God does guide us, and He guides us through a number of different ways, a number of different lights, as it were. And so let me share you some components of God's guidance system. Number one, if you're taking notes, is God's Word, the Bible. The first way God guides us is through the Bible. As we read the Word, God's Word contains God's will. And as we read the Bible, meditate on it, we begin to think like God thinks. And uh, even David, Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a light to my path. Isn't that interesting? You're walking along. It's a little bit dark. What do I do? What's my next step? God's word is a light, a lamp to our path. And so simply reading the word of God, thinking about it, taking it in, 
is the way that God guides us. Remember Joshua in the Old Testament? Uh, he was heading into the promised land, and here was the promise. Joshua, if you will read and meditate on my law day and night, be careful to do everything in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Who would like a prosperous and successful 219? Most people want a prosperous and successful 219. How does that happen? Well, take some time to read, meditate, think about God's ways, and then apply them to your life. Uh, Paul picks this up in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God, and it's useful for four things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness or right living, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. Notice that God's Word's inspired. It's different than every other book on your shelf. It's been breathed in by the Holy Spirit, and it's good for four things. Teaching, showing you the way to live, and then how many know we get a little off track sometimes? We need rerouting. It then rebukes us. Hey, you're going the wrong way. It then corrects us or helps us get back on track. And then it trains us so we don't keep repeating the same loop. Four things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and then training so we live and learn. And so you want to be guided this year. You want to make some good decisions. The Word of God is the first part of this GPS system. And God's Word contains many great principles. Uh, some people say the Bible's an instruction manual. Anyone heard that before? The Bible's your instruction manual. And as we know in life, how many know when all else fails? We usually read the instructions when it's not working, uh, which is just human nature. Uh, in many ways, it's a little simplistic to say the Bible's your instruction manual because the Bible's actually a library. It's a big library. It'll exhaust you before you exhaust it. It's got 66 books written by many authors over many centuries in three different languages, in different cultures, places, and times. So it's this huge library, and it has a variety of genres of literature. Yes, there are instructions in there like the Ten Commandments, but there are also poems, there's songs in there, there's prophecies, there's visions, there's apocalyptic literature. And then there's one particular genre, which is the dominant genre of the Bible. It's called narrative, which is story. There's a lot of stories in the Bible. And these stories tell us what happened what people did, the decisions they made and the consequences and how God interacted with their story to bring about His story. And so as we read the Bible, we're looking into this library and we're learning and we're gaining wisdom as we do so. Uh, I shared last year how when I was a teenager, our youth pastor encouraged us to read a proverb for the day of the week. So if it's the, if it's the third of the month, read Proverbs 3. If it's the 10th, read Proverbs 10. If you do a proverb every day, you'll read the book of Proverbs every month, and in every year you'll read it 12 times. Over a few years, you'll read it dozens of times. And you'll get a lot of wisdom about finances and relationships and your mouth and the words you speak. And so I was doing that. And I was kind of drifting a little bit in my life. I had a friend who was stealing things, and I was actually helping him. I wasn't doing the stealing, but I was kind of helping him. And I was still reading my Bible, and I read Proverbs 29 on that day. And verse 24 says, whoever is a partner to a thief is a fool. Don't look at me so spiritual. 
I was getting a little off track in my life. And as I was reading the Bible, the Bible rebuked me. And I wonder where my life would have headed if I hadn't taken some time to open the Bible and read and get my life back on track. I told a funny story last year of um, more recently we were living in a rural area and had a neighbor with a couple of sheep and uh, he wouldn't um, he wouldn't shear his sheep often enough and so the sheep had this heave, a huge amount of wool and uh, so much wool that sometimes the sheep would fall over and couldn't get back up and so you know I had to tell tell the neighbor hey your sheep's fallen over and he'd come out and lift it up anyway it was a really hot hot morning one Saturday and Nicole goes hey the sheep's fallen over again I said I'm not going around I've been around so many times I'm not going around so I'm sitting in my chair actually reading my Bible Saturday morning got to Matthew 12 verse 11 Jesus said to them if any of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath will you not reach out and lift it up jumped out of my chair said honey I'm going wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if the Bible was like that every day? <laughs> Sometimes the Bible's like that. It just grabs your attention. Some words jump off the page, and God's actually telling you what you need to do with your life. Sometimes it happens through the preacher. That's one of the benefits of coming together on a weekly basis, is we actually don't only read the Bible for ourselves, but hear the Bible taught. <laughs> I had a funny story back when I was 18. I was living in America. had a girlfriend named Mary. And we'd been going out since we were about 13. Really good, healthy friendship. Um, my family was about to move back to Australia, but it wasn't public yet. And I hadn't told Mary. And I was kind of a little, you know, didn't want to hurt her feelings. But clearly our relationship didn't have a future. Our family direction was changing. And so I kept putting it off. I came to church one Sunday morning. We had a guest speaker. And he opened his message by reading from the Gospel of Luke. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? You know, Martha's serving and getting stressed and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. So he reads this story and then he says, My sermon title today is, Let Mary Alone. <laughs> Didn't hear the rest of the message. <laughs> Could have gone home right then. But I needed to have a chat to Mary. Isn't it amazing how God can get your attention and find you and direct you and speak to your life if you'll position yourself? See, the Bible in many ways is a sacred text that's speaking all the time. The question is, are we tuned in? You know, through this room right now, there are voices. I'm not getting spooky on you. There's voices going through the sound waves of this room right now. We just can't hear them. But if we got a radio transmitter or receiver and we tuned in to 774 or whatever your channel is, if we tuned in, how many know suddenly there'd be voices and words and conversation we'd be hearing? The Bible's like that. It's transmitting all the time. The issue is, are we tuned in? Are we listening to God's Word through the sacred text? That's the first way God guides us. Number two, the second part of the GPS, is something called wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 8 says God created wisdom before He created the world. And Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, Get wisdom <laughs> with all you're getting. Uh, even if it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. Oh, we're, up on, we're on. Daniel, you're a hero. Proverbs 4, 7, get wisdom. It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, there's three things that are talked about regularly. Knowledge, 
understanding and wisdom. Knowledge is possessing information. Understanding is knowing what the information means, interpreting it. Wisdom is applying it to your life. How many know we don't lack knowledge today? <laughs> we live in a knowledge explosion. If you don't know something, just ask Dr. Google. We don't lack information. Knowledge is expanding. Understanding, what does it all mean? <laughs> There's not as much of that around. And wisdom, how do I apply this to my life? That, that's the thing that we need to go after. Get wisdom. See, God gave us a brain. He's not going to make all the decisions for you. He wants you to think. He wants us to have common sense, which isn't as common today as it used to be. He wants us to make decisions. Uh, Paul, in the book of Acts, you'll see him one day leaving Damascus. And uh, you kind of go, well, did he open the Old Testament and find a verse that said, thou shalt leave Damascus? No. Did he have a prophecy? No, no, no. There were death threats. People heard some rumors that they were trying to kill him, so he decided to leave. How many think he was just using his brain? You know what? I think I might leave. I want to live a little longer. I've got a bit more to do with my life. I think I'll leave Damascus because if I stay here, I'm going to die. Just, just common sense, wisdom, and we need to do the same. We can ask God for wisdom. We can find wisdom in the Bible. We can also get wisdom from counselors or advisors. Listen to this from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Plans go wrong. Because people don't take advice, but success comes through many advisors. A little illustration I might share with the leaders before. Let's take this podium here, and let's put a circle of people around the podium. Okay, so we're all sitting around this podium. Uh, three observations. No one sees it the same. If every person around the circle drew the podium, how many know every drawing would be a little bit different? No one sees it the same. Number two, no one sees it accurately. In every person's drawing, there would be something missing. Third observation, only as we listen to everyone's perspective do we see the podium accurately. You with me? Simple logic, simple wisdom. Now, take the podium out of the circle and put something else in the circle, a decision, a project you're planning, a theological debate, a discussion, a three-year plan. Put anything in the circle. The same three things are true. No one sees it the same. Everyone sees it differently. No one sees it accurately. And only as we listen to everyone's perspective do we see it in its fullness. That's the reality of life. So anytime you go, I see it all, or let me tell you how it is, how many know that's called arrogance? And there's too much of it in the world, even amongst leaders, sadly. We need the humility to realize, I can see a few things, but I don't see it all. What do you see, Jimmy? Emma, how do you feel about this? We need counselors. We need advisors. We need people who are sitting in different positions to us to say, have you thought about, hey, did you realize this is part of gaining wisdom? So important that we gain wisdom. Let me give you a little decision-making process coming up on the screen now. Here we go. Four steps. Number one, state the decision you're making as a question. It could be, I've got two job offers. Which one will I take? 
Maybe you're looking for a rental and there's three different suburbs. Where will I live? Maybe you just finished year 12 and you've got a couple of uni course options. Which one will I take? Which career path? Maybe you've just joined Bayside. Which connect group will I connect to? Or which ministry? I've been sitting here a while. Which ministry will I volunteer in? Every decision is a question waiting to be answered. So just pop the question out there. Secondly, second step is consider all the alternatives. Rarely is there one option. Put all the alternatives out there. Just brainstorm, get them all out there. Thirdly, think through the potential consequences. So if I do this, what could likely happen? What will be good about this? What could go well? What could go wrong? What will be difficult if I go this way? What potential challenges could I face? Just look at the pros and the cons, the positives, the negatives, all the possible ramifications of every one of your possible decisions. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, a prudent person, a smart, a wise person foresees the danger and takes precautions while a simpleton, a fool, goes on blindly and suffers the consequences. What's Proverbs saying? Think ahead. Don't just think about your decision now. Think about all the possible ramifications. This is wisdom. And then fourthly, coming up now, Make a decision. <laughs> Don't spend your life at number three, thinking about what could, might, should happen if I do so-and-so. A lot of people have paralysis by analysis. They just keep thinking about stuff. At some point, you've got to make a decision. And I've discovered in life, some people are so worried about making the right decision, they actually never make a decision. Sometimes it's not so much making the right decision as making your decision right. I know that's really deep. Sometimes we're worried about making the right decision. Well, often there's many decisions, but once you've made the decision, are you making that right? It's often in the implementation that determines whether it's a good decision or not. You could be sitting here, did I marry the right person? Well, maybe the question is, are you being the right person? And are you doing all you can to make your marriage right, the best that it can be? Life is not a snapshot. It's a moving picture. And sometimes we can just get caught up in the moment, right or wrong, yes or no, left or right, swipe left, swipe right, you know. What are we going to do? <laughs> it's often what we do after the decision that has the biggest impact on our life. So, God's guidance system, His Word... Wisdom, number three, coming up on the screen now, is circumstances. Circumstances are the context of every decision that we make. Notice that Paul used circumstances as a part of his guidance system. Last week, he's trying this way, there's a closed door. He doesn't just stay there the rest of his life. He moves on. Another closed door, he moves on. He's allowing circumstances to be part of how God directs him. And we should do the same. Uh, you know, if your house is on fire, how many know God's will is probably that you leave? <laughs> don't open your Bible and say, let me just see. God, is there a verse for this? You know, don't call your friend. I'm, I need a prophetic word. What should I do today? Get out of the house. It's pretty simple, but life's a bit like that. If you lost your job, redundancy, restructure, uh, God's will's probably that you look for another job. Sometimes there's just stuff beyond our control that happens, and it's part of our journey, and we need to adjust and respond to it. Sometimes 
God uses the authorities in our life to shape us and to direct us. If you're a teenager, sometimes it's mum or dad. Uh, if you're a student, sometimes it's a teacher. If you're uh, an employee today, it could be a boss, a manager, a supervisor. In church, it could be a church leader. Sometimes they become an instrument in God's hand to shape our character and direct our life. I mentioned that when I was 18, I was in America. We moved to America when I was eight. And uh, when you're eight years old, eight or nine, how many know moving countries is a bit of an adventure? It's exciting going to another country and got to America. And uh, we lived there for 10 years. And I kind of became an all-American kid. Uh, when I arrived, I said to one guy, my name was Mark, and he called me Mike for 10 days. So I learned to say Mark. My name is Mark Connor. And so I was an all-American kid. Age 18, my sister's married. She's in America. My parents wanted to come back to Australia. How many know at 18, moving countries is not as exciting as when you're eight? So we had some intense fellowship in our family. Because mom and dad wanted to come back to Australia. They wanted me to come. I did not want to go. I get a girlfriend, I'm in church, I'm volunteering, got a career, I'm playing music. My whole life's ahead of me. Australia, where's that? Oh, yeah, I, I think I was there as a kid. So we had some intense conversations around uh, them wanting me to go and me wanting to stay. I'm 18 now. I don't want to go back there. Anyway, that went on for a while. Uh, looking back, my, my parents are pretty smart. As you get older, you, your parents tend to get smarter. Have you noticed that? Like Mark Twain said, when I was 14, I thought my dad was pretty dumb, but by the time I turned 21, I was amazed how much the old man had learned. <laughs> As you get older, your parents are a little smarter. My parents ended up doing this. They said, hey, Mark, how about you come for one year? And just give it a go. Just, just come for one year, and if you don't like it, you can go back. Pretty smart, huh? Bit of a word of wisdom, I think. And so I said, okay, okay. We'll go for one year. We'll give it a go. Little did I know at that time what a defining decision that would be in my life that I didn't make, but I flowed with the direction my parents felt. And uh, I learned a lot that year. First of all, I learned what it really means to trust God. See, I'd been to a young adults camp. I'd been to a youth camp. I'd sang, I surrender all. I'd said some wonderful prayers, but God kind of said, really, are you willing to surrender at all? <laughs> Easy to sing. See, when I left America, it was a bit like letting go of one trapeze. Everything that I was holding onto, I, I let it all go, and I didn't yet have another trapeze to grab on. I mean, no, that's a pretty scary feeling to go, bye, and then be going. <laughs> I tell you, I learned what it is to trust God, to actually let everything go and have no guarantees for the future. That was one of the biggest spiritual growth moments in my life. And I've had to do that a few times, but I still look back. How many know when you let go, trust God, and He catches you, you kind of grow through that? Yeah, you do. Anyway, fast forward. A year later, God had amazingly replaced everything I thought I was giving up. Made some new friends, new job, evolved in church, eventually met Nicole. I'm so glad now I came back to Australia. I realized I loved America, still got friends there, but I'm Aussie, and this is my home, and this is my country. And wow, if I hadn't had the circumstances kind of shape me, I could still be there now saying, my name's Mark Harner. <laughs> I'm glad I came back. Now, now, I'm not saying every leader in your life is 
doing the right thing and everything they say and do is God's will. But sometimes external circumstances are part of shaping our future. Now, um, circumstances are important. Again, don't lean too heavily on them. Um, anyone heard the story of Gideon and his fleece? Anyone heard that story? It's a very interesting story. Judges 6, if you're taking notes. Um, Gideon's not sure whether to do something, although God's already told him very clearly what he wants Gideon to do. But Gideon, he's full of fear and he lacks faith. And so he has this little idea, God, I'm going to put this fleece out in the morning. And if you really want me to go, let the fleece be covered in dew and everywhere around it, let it be dry. And uh, God humors Gideon. And he gets up in the morning, and sure enough, the fleece is covered in dew. Everything's dry. Th then he says, oh, one more time, God. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to put the fleece out again. Let the fleece be dry and everything around it have dew on it. And God, in his patience, um, answered Gideon's prayer. It's kind of got into the English vernacular. Well, I I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm putting out a fleece. As if that story is telling us how we get guidance. And so some people today say, well, I'm going to do this, and if this happens, I'll know it's God's will. <laughs> Anyone know any people like that? I would just say, if we want to interpret the story of Gideon, God had already clearly told Gideon what to do, and the two fleeces that he put before God were an expression of his fear and lack of faith. So I just say, don't overly rely on, well, if this happens, it must be God. Circumstances are a part of our guidance, but they're not the only means, and we don't want to overly depend on it. Two more. Next one is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Next slide, Romans 8, 14. All who are led or guided by the Holy Spirit are the children of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus... Holy Spirit lives within you. And part of God's guidance system, it's not just the Word, not just wisdom, not just circumstances, but inside of you, having a sense of peace, thoughts, impressions, sometimes a small, still voice. This is the more subjective part of guidance, but it's really, really important that we listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying within us. Very, very important. And then finally, <clears throat> number five, <clears throat> the supernatural. These are things that happen out of the ordinary. And in the Bible and today, sometimes God guides us through a dream or a vision. Some people have had angelic visitations or heard an audible voice uh, or prophecy where God kind of prompts someone to share. I feel God's saying this and prophecy needs to be taken seriously, but it also needs to be tested and proven. And then we let the rest go, hang on to the good. If we're not sure, just stick it on the shelf and give it some time. Because between a promise and the fulfillment of a promise is often a gap, a time delay. Uh, Joseph had some great dreams as a teenager, but he had 13 long years until the time came for those dreams to be fulfilled. And prophecy is very much like that. There's often a gap. And so we have to Trust God during that. And so pulling this together, next slide. So these are five of the ways uh, in this GPS system. There may be some others, but these are five of the main lights we need to be looking at. God's Word, wisdom, what are the circumstances saying, what's the Holy Spirit saying within me, and has there been any unusual supernatural guidance? God usually doesn't guide by one of these alone, always by more than one. 
And when the lights all add up, there's some confirmation. In the Bible, there's this little phrase, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every matter be established. That's in Deuteronomy 17.6 and Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.1. You ever been to a court case? You'd never have a verdict based on one witness alone. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, there's a plurality, there's a confirmation. And so if, the bigger the decision you're about to make, the larger the risk the greater the consequences, then the more lights you need lining up. What does God's Word say? What's the wisdom you've gained? What circumstances are happening? What's the Holy Spirit saying? Has there been any confirmation? Getting these to agree is really, really important. Uh, there's an interesting story in Acts 21, verses 10 to 15. Uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and there's a prophet named Agabus. And he's a true prophet. And he comes up to Paul and he grabs Paul's belt and he takes Paul's belt and he ties his own feet and his own hand with the belt and then he prophesies. This is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. Interesting prophetic word. What would you have done? Change your ticket, went somewhere else or maybe sold the belt to somebody else? What do you do? All the brothers, friends around Paul says, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. Now think about this. You're going to Jerusalem. you now got a prophetic word saying this is what's going to happen if you go. You've now got peers around you saying, please don't go. Paul said, stop. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready to be bound. I'm even ready to die for Jesus Christ. See, Paul already knew in his own heart that he was to go to Jerusalem and he would eventually end up in Rome. And although this was a true prophetic word, a true warning, he didn't change the entire direction of life just because a few people were concerned about his future because one word was saying one thing, Paul went with the conviction of his own heart. Now, don't take me wrong, I've had many prophetic words that have guided me. I'm just saying you've got to put it all together. Last year, last year, last week, I shared about us having advice, Nicole and I, when we were young leaders working for my dad, when he was the senior minister of Waverly Christian Fellowship, we had a guest speaker come through and say, hey, Mark, Nicole, you're a good young couple. I think it'd be good if you went away for a few years and go work in another church, get out from your dad's shadow and just kind of become your own people. We talked to dad, he was okay, and we thought, oh, well, anyway, we forgot about it. Six months later, we had another guest speaker come through and say the same thing. Hey, why don't you go to another church, go somewhere else, and just have some experience, get out from your dad's shadow. So we thought, oh, that's two people saying the same thing. So we started conversations with two other churches outside Victoria. Both of them were keen for us to go, but we were a bit confused. Dad was saying it's okay. Two people had said you should do this. These two ministries wanted us to come. In the end, we didn't go. You know why we didn't go? Because we didn't have a peace in our heart that we, that we should go. We, we didn't have a sense that this is right for us. See, sometimes you've got to tune out all the noise and just actually go, what's God put in your heart? Jesus came up to a blind man. He says, what, 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 what do you want me to do for you? It's a funny question, isn't it? Duh, the guy's blind. Jesus never assumed everything, anything. And some of you here today, you want to know God's will for your life? I, I feel God saying to some of you, what, 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 what do you want? What do you want? There's a few no's, but what's in your heart? See, 
everyone in our story was saying, you should do this, you should do this. When we tuned out all the noise and just were still, we, we didn't want to go away. We loved our church. Dad was giving us room to grow, and we decided not to go, even though there were these projections of other people. What's fascinating is about 15 years later, both of those ministries ended up in major scandals, and man, we're so glad we didn't go. I'm not always saying that when you make a decision, it's always going to be problem-free, but we how many are thankful for doors that closed and you go, I could have done that and I'm so glad I didn't? Well, that was one of those for us. So all I'm saying is listen to all these lights, but that witness of the Spirit is so important. What do you want? Because you know what? When all the advisors are gone, guess who's going to own the decision? You. <laughs> we could have gone because everyone else said go. In the end, you've got to really read your own heart, read your own spirit as well as uh, listen to the Word of God. A couple of final thoughts. Some of us naturally lean to the wisdom side, where the more logic, uh, rational, you love that little process of decision-making. Yes, no, this here. Some of us are more wired in the logic, the rational, the wisdom. That's a great strength. You've got to make sure you balance wisdom with faith. <laughs> because as Jimmy said, when God says, step out of the boat, how many know that doesn't make sense? And so people who are good on the wisdom, logical side sometimes find risk and doing things that you don't fully understand and no guarantees. That's your balancing act. Others of us in the room today, we're kind of on this faith subjective side. Like, you know, uh, we, we love prophetic words and dreams and feeling and subjective. And, you know, the danger if you push too far this side, this is Joe going up to Mary going, God told me you're going to marry me. <laughs> and Mary going, He hasn't told me. <laughs> Uh, or I had a dream, or I had a word, or I had this feeling. Again, I'm not in any way diminishing this. Faith is great. If you're feeling and sensing things, lean into that. But faith needs to be balanced with wisdom. Have you spoken to anyone else about that? Oh, someone gave me a word. I'm supposed to go to Africa. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> where in Africa? And You've seen how much the airfares are lately? Do you, do you like Africa? You, you, you know what I'm saying? If you're a little bit more in this faith, feeling, sensing, don't diminish that strength, but balance it with wisdom. Life is about faith and wisdom. Not faith versus wisdom, but faith and wisdom together. That's why I love our theme this year, Together. Don't do life alone. Do life together. People of faith, people of wisdom, doing life as a team. So as we wrap this up, where you are today is a result of the decisions you made yesterday. Where you will be tomorrow will be a result of the decisions you make today. Uh, I want you as you head out into the rest of 2019 to be bold, to be courageous. There's a wide, spacious, amount of possibilities in front of you. Don't be paralyzed. Don't be full of fear. Choose wisely. Choose in faith. Read your own heart. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And so be bold, be courageous, make decisions. And as you follow God's will this year, I believe you'll be a huge blessing to this world. Everyone said amen.